morning. Scripture reading for today is recorded in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, for God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The word of God. Good morning. No one likes to hear bad news. No one likes to give bad news. And as a dentist, there are many times I had to give bad news. But I usually start with the good news. Yes, I can save your tooth. But you need a root canal. I mean, yeah, root canal doesn't conjure up ideas of being comfortable, right? And it, it does cost a lot. So I, when I say that to the patient, I usually get this look from them, a look of shock and fear. They might even tear up a little bit. And it look like they're like a captured animal. And they're thinking to themselves, do I really need this? Can I get away? And how long can I get away with it? So the last two Sundays, Pastor Billy been telling us that the letter to the Romans is about good news, about the gospel. 
And uh, Romans chapter 1, 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. So what is the gospel, right? The gospel is that the good news that if salvation is available to everyone who has faith in the person of Christ Jesus. So naturally, we expect to hear more about this good news. How is it good? But instead, Paul kind of veer off into this topic on the wrath of God. I mean, that's equivalent to saying, you need a root canal. Paul, why did you ruin this? You got them. You got them. You said you're going to tell them about the good news, how Christ loved them, how he died on the cross for them. Why ruin the whole thing with the wrath of God? Well, the thing is, the Apostle Paul did not write this letter to his audience to say how lovable Christ is. He wrote the letter so that they know, so that you and I know the exorbitant cost to God of saving you and me. In his letter to the Romans, Paul is answering for us these, these questions. Why does our salvation happen the way it did? Why does it require the creator of the universe, the eternal, immortal, almighty, holy God, the great I am, to be treated so despicably and die on the cross so horribly to save us? We cannot know how valuable and good a cure is unless we know how terrible the disease is. The wrath of God points us to just how dire our problem is. Sin is not a trivial matter. In scripture, actually, the topic of God's wrath comes up more often than the love of God. We read about God's wrath against humanity in the story of Noah, against the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, again and again in the, in the book of Psalms and in the, in the books of the prophets, we hear about God's wrath. And in the New Testament, the day of judgment is the day of God's wrath. Now, we don't really like to bring up uh, much about the uh, wrath of God in our sermons. It just conjures up these preaching of hell and brimstone. And it upsets people to think that God is so angry and so intolerant. But what is the wrath of God? We don't even use the word wrath very much. Wrath is actually defined as a deep, intense anger and indignation. Anger, the feeling of strong displeasure and strong antagonism with a sense of injury and insult. Indignation is the righteous anger that's brought about by injustice and baseness. Wrath is actually an attribute and character of God, just as love is. And in verse 17, we find out that God is also righteous. For in it, I mean, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith. Now, you have to understand, righteousness uh, in Hebrew, uh, the, it's the Hebrew sadak, okay? And the Greek word uh, dikios. But these words stands for righteous and just like injustice. So God is righteous, he is just, okay? 
And God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the fi final standard of what is right. The gospel then reveals that God is dealing with our sin because he is a just God. If there is no justice, then God is not righteous. But then it goes on to say, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness. God's wrath then is his reaction to the injustices and moral evil in the world. His reaction to the ungodliness and wickedness as Paul puts it. So our offense against God is great and that we deserve his wrath. And when we see someone take, taken advantage of or senselessly hurt or kill, do we not react? When we see or hear people who have no quorum about robbing senior citizens of their life savings, or maybe someone who abused uh, their high positions to take advantage of others, or even innocent people needlessly die from a missile hitting their plane because of political games, do we not get angry and want justice? God sees all of this and more. He sees cruelty, hatred, depravity of every shade in our hearts. And God would not be righteous or just if he did not show outrage against the evil in the world. But I want you to know what God's wrath is not. It's not capricious. It's never excessive or cruel or malicious. These are all adjectives we associate with human wrath. What his wrath is, is always as, just as deserved and not more. Because Paul go on to chapter 2 saying, God will repay each person according to what they have done and not more, okay? And J.I. Packer, theologian, states that the essence of God's action and wrath is to give men what they choose in all its implications. Nothing more and equally nothing less. A second truth about God's wrath is that we are all by nature deserving God's wrath. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, chapter two Paul wrote, all of us also lived among them. He meant like the worldly influences at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, he said, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Well, you may say, I'm a good person. I help out. I, I wouldn't take advantage of people. But apart from God, it's like someone who lived in Nazi Germany and taking care of wounded soldiers be counted as doing good. We are always living under the power of sin. Even the good that we do is, is, not, uh, is not good. The third thing we need to know about God's wrath that we should fear about being under God's wrath. God promised eternal punishment 
to those apart from Christ. And God is powerful enough to do as he promised. And he's always true to his word. It's something for us to meditate on. If we don't fear him, we are either not taking his word seriously or we don't think he can carry it out. Um, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that's become my favorite. Uh, it goes like this. What do people mean when they say, I am not afraid of God because I know he is good? Have they never been to a dentist? Come and see me if you need the fear of God. <laughs> Another truth about us and God's wrath is this. God's wrath is something people choose. Interesting, huh? We read this actually in, to, uh, in today's scripture. We read, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, they have been understood and seen through the things he has made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorify him as God nor give, him, give thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. God revealed himself in creation, in history, in our conscience. We can know him, yet we can also choose not to worship him and honor him and turn to something else. In the ancient times, when the world was considered enchanted, that is, they consider rocks and hills and such are occupied by some sort of gods or some sort of deity, people in those days cho chose to worship idols, chose to, to make idols that they think was endowed with um, animal deities or human-like gods. But Paul wrote that all creation actually pointed to Yahweh that his eternal power and nature, divine nature, are shown. It is not because they did not know better. It was because they looked to suppress the truth of who God was. Today, we also suppress the reality of God. We, however, use science. Now, I want to clarify a big misconception about signs and faith. Science is not against faith in God, though some people use it as such. Science is a method by which we study the natural world. And it actually, it was initiated by Christians long ago who looked to study the nature of God's creation. We need not be afraid about the theory of evolution and the claim that it is proof that God is not real. This is a misconception. Science is for studying the created world, but it is not the right method to study God, the creator. There are so many things known through science that would astound you, and even if you are not a Christian, would make you consider that there is someone behind the intelligent design of our universe. I study science, life science, or what you call biology, and every time I am in awe, in awe, how complicated, how beautiful, intricate each living and breathing creature. 
Actually, one of the most incredible mysteries that I've encountered is how can life so vary uh, from slime mold, a gelatinous protoplasm, to human beings such as us have this in common, DNA. And that DNA has four base pairs. Okay, you guys remember what the four base pair is? Or science people, science people? Okay, all right. The adenine, thymine, cytosine, and guanine. Four, just four chemicals, four, okay? There's chemical building blocks, okay? That could express such variety of life on Earth. How did these building blocks come to be cannot be an accident? How, like, uh, what's the word? How beautiful and, 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 and simple they are uh, to, to give such expression of characters and life. Um, it's just, it's just a theory of evolution is not adequate to explain this. In fact, our universe is so fine-tuned in sustaining life. Scientists call this the entropic principles. What the scientists find is that the fundamental laws and parameters of physics and the initial condition of the universe is actually precisely geared toward life. All right, I know, you have to think back to your physics. <laughs> okay, you can look at gravitational constants, Planck's constants, okay, cosmological constants, and there are about 26 of them. Okay, this, it is known to scientists in the last 50 years that everything about the basic structure of the universe is balanced on a razor's edge for life to exist. How precise is it? According to Dr. Robin Collins, he has a degree in physics, math, and philosophy, and he's a Christian himself. He estimated that probability to be one in 10 million, billion, 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 billion. That's one in 10 and then followed by 53 zero, okay? The chances that life can exist, he said, would be like going out in space, you throw a dart randomly towards Earth and it lands on a bullseye the size of an atom. Hmm. English physicist Paul Davies had this to say in his book, God and the New Physics. It is hard to resist the impression that the present structure of the universe, apparently so sensitive to minor alteration in numbers, has, rather, has been rather carefully thought out. The seemingly miraculous concurrence of these numerical values must remain the most compelling evidence for cosmic design. If there's a design, then there's a designer. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse. Yet we chose to instead to worship science and think that science can explain away the existence of God. We do not acknowledge or honor God 
and we deserve as much wrath as those in ancient times. But this tells us that we are responsible for what we know of God. So let me ask you, what are you doing with all that you learn every Sunday morning with the sermons that you have heard? Now, would we be any better if God was to appear right before us? If we learn anything about the Israelites, is that seeing is not always believing. Again and again, they refuse to give God trust and respect, refuse to give him their submission and obedience and love that he deserves. And again and again, they show ingratitude. They chose to put themselves in the place of knowing his wrath. Psalm 78 is actually a good kind of summary of this as recounting. Yahweh rescued his people from, the e from Egypt with miracles. He divided the Red Sea, led them through but with a pillar of clouds in the day and a pillar of uh, a fire at night. But they neither remember or trusted him. And they complained and they, they questioned his goodness. They spoke against him. They provoked him with idol worship and they rebelled against him. And then in the Psalm, verses 59 to 60, talks about how God heard and he was full of wrath. He utterly rejected Israel. He abandoned his dwelling in Shiloh and he delivered his power to captivity. He gave his people to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. A Christian is not someone who just acknowledged that God exists. But we are people who believe that fundamentally God is good and that he's good to us, that God is holy and righteous and just, that he hates sin so much that he, you know, he would 